0: Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Mark Miller.
1: If you can bow your heads with me, let us pray. Lord, we love you. Indeed, we love you above all things. And we thank you for being our God and for gathering us here to worship you. This morning, we humbly approach you with our petitions. Lord, we pray that you will continue to bless and empower your church on earth as she continues to fight against the principalities and powers in heavenly places. May she ever be loyal and devoted to her bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, until the day of his return. We pray for our nation. May America continue to be a beacon of true religion and civil liberty, and her leaders be genuine servants, putting the interests of the public before the private. We also pray that you will continue to use our nation's military to ensure and promote justice and peace around the globe. May you preserve and strengthen our military service members and their families. For those who are deployed, may they complete their mission with honor and valor and come home safely to the waiting arms of their loved ones. Our gracious and merciful God, as we dwell upon the perfect requirements of your holy law, we quickly realize that we are great sinners. Our flesh still battles with our spirit. Our new hearts still long for the new day of resurrection of our bodies. But until then, O Lord, please hear again our confession of our sin. Please forgive us of our sin. And please help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Lord, we have many concerns and pains. We also carry many burdens. Oh, Lord, we lift them up to you now. Even the ones that are too deep for words, hear the cries of our hearts. And grant us your peace, your healing, and your comfort this morning. Please be with those who couldn't join us today. Or for those who are away, grant them travel mercies. And for those who are sick, a quick recovery from their ailments. The tithes and offerings that we have brought, we offer them to you. All that we have, our gifts, health, material possessions, are given by you, O God. In joyful acknowledgement of that truth, we give our tithes and offerings. May you accept them and use them for the furtherance of your kingdom in Fort Bragg, and around the world be with our preacher today as he boldly proclaims your word and may the spirit of truth open the ears of our hearts and fill us with the resolve to obey what we hear we remember that it is our lord jesus christ when he took on flesh lived in full obedience to the father becoming obedience obedient to the point of death even death on the cross and it is our Lord who taught his disciples how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us daily bread, and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
0: Good morning, everyone. You are a good-looking crowd this morning, and we have our kids with us this morning. So uh, you guys are in for a treat. After the service, there's donuts, right? That's the treat you're looking for. But no, you're in for a treat, because I want to tell you a story this morning. Anybody like stories? How many kids like stories? You like stories? All right. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to show you a destination that you need to tell your parents you want to go to, because it's a great family vacation. But before I begin the story, I need to ask one quick question. Has anyone in here besides me ever started something you didn't finish, and we're willing to admit it? I see hands. Yes. Amen. You start something, and you didn't finish it. We have good reasons sometimes for not finishing what we start. Uh, I asked my wife to marry me on February 13th. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Because you're like, chaplain, February 14th is Valentine's Day, and it's the day of love, right? I mean, it's the day when it's the quintessential day to ask someone to marry you. But I asked her on February 13th because February 14th was a Friday, and my grandpa always said, don't ever start anything on Friday. How many of you have ever started something on Friday and it took you a long time to get back to it? Because something's going to come up, the weekend's going to happen, and you're going to be like, man, what did I do? What did I start? So I didn't want to start a marriage on a Friday and 27 years come this May, we're still on that journey, so uh, I guess maybe there's something to that. But That's not my story. My story is about a place called Bolt Castle. I think we have a picture of it up here. Beautiful place, right? Anybody been there besides Dom? I think Don. A few people in the back. Those of you who were sentenced to Fort Drum at one point, I mean assigned to Fort Drum at one point, uh, I hear it's cold. I hear that it's next to Siberia as far as an assignment goes. In 2011, my family and I took a family vacation to Niagara Falls. We went to... uh, Niagara, and then we went across to Fort Drum to see some, fa- some friends, and they told us about this Thousand Islands region that was right there, and a place we had to go see called Boat Castle, and so we did. We got the kids on a ferry. We went out across the water there on the beautiful Thousand Islands area of Fort Drum, beautiful clear lake water, uh, and, and just a phenomenal trip, and we arrived at this island, and I mean, beautiful, right? It looks like Disney. And the attraction of this island, though, is not because of what it is, but because of what it's not. The attraction is because the fact that it is an unfinished relic that is still standing today for people to tour. Understand, you know, maybe the history of Bolt Castle would help us to understand this a little bit better. In 1900, George Bolt the millionaire proprietor of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Anybody spend a night there? I'd be real curious because I'd like to follow you around. But the Waldorf, Waldorf Astoria, a very successful hotel in New York and in, in Manhattan. And uh, George Bolt, who built that, also decided, hey, I'm going to build an estate, a a castle, if you will, on this island in the lake. And so he wanted to do it as a a way to express his love for his wife Louise. And so he hired three hundred stonemasons and carpenters and builders who went to work. And for three four years, three and three plus years, they labored. They they built what you see there. They built the castle, they built boat houses, they built uh, a, a kids' playhouse, they they had drawbridges. I mean, they had places where kids, you you wouldn't have to build a castle. You could play in the castle because that's where you lived if you were there. But in January of 1904, George Boat called the construction workers and said, Stop all construction because tragedy had struck his family and his wife, Louise, had suddenly died. And he never finished it. He never went back to the project. He abandoned it, he left it as a monument of his love for his wife Louise, but George Bolt did not finish what he started building. And it wasn't because he wasn't unable to finish. George Bolt had plenty of money, plenty of resources, but he lost his reason to build. He lost his will to build it. He was unwilling to finish it because it represented something that was more important to him, and he couldn't finish it. So my question for us today is have you ever started anything and didn't finish it? George Bolt built Boat Castle, which still stands today as a costly, unfinished relic. Thousands of people enjoy t- touring it. The New York uh, Transportation Authority, uh, they, they, uh, Trans, uh, Thousand Islands Bridge Authority, Bought the island in 1977, I believe for a dollar. Uh, I think that's what somebody uh, shared that with me. They bought it for a dollar. They decided to to preserve it, but not finish it. They preserved it as an unfinished relic for people to come and look at and to tour. And that's what people do. Some things we start and we don't finish for good reasons, right? There are some people who start a career in the military, and for good reasons, they decide it's time for me to ETS, it's time for me to move on, it's time for me to do something different. There's people who, you know, start out on a trip and get a part part of the way down the road and just say, you know what, I'm just not into this, and they turn around, and they go back home because they would rather just spend their vacation at home. There's lots of good reasons why sometimes we stop what we're doing. This morning, we're going to look at uh, a passage of Scripture where Jesus is talking to those who are following him, the crowds, and he's saying, you need to understand what you are starting to do when you are following me. So, if we look back at our Scripture, we see that Jesus just puts it out there to the crowd. I'd like to read through the Scripture again because we need to hear what he says. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Think about what you just heard. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We're going to look at some of the terminology that Jesus uses this morning. You see, the crowds were following Jesus for for some reason. Maybe they were following Jesus because they just liked to be a part of the crowd. Maybe they were following him because they thought they had something to gain from following him. Or because they just wanted to be associated with him. Have you ever followed someone because of those reasons? It's like, hey, Chaplain Miller's really cool. I'm going to follow him. Or Chaplain Wilson, he's even cooler. I'm going to follow him. But we do. We we find somebody there's all these different popular people that we tie in you know we we align ourselves with and that's why we do it and Jesus turns to the crowd and he he looks at them and he says some things that probably makes them scratch their head a little maybe raises a few eyebrows and even some of them it creates some angst because words matter right and in this passage, Jesus uses a word that we may struggle with as well, and that word is hate. How I many of you parents teach your, your children not to use that word? Don't say, you're not supposed to say you hate anyone. I, I know. I taught my kids to do that. And I was like, don't say you hate someone because here's what you're saying. Hate is a harsh word. And hate is something that likely the crowd picked up on. The Greek u- word used here is meseo. It is an emphatic negative meaning to detest. When those following Jesus it, uh, heard it, they probably, it probably caught their attention. And not only did the word catch their attention, but the context he used it in would have caught their attention. Because you see, it's, it's, it's one thing to detest something like broccoli or PT early on a cold, dark morning or meatloaf. You may detest those things, but it's one thing to detest those. It's another thing to detest what Jesus described, and that is your mother and father, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. It's like, really? This, isn't this the same Jesus that said I should love my neighbor and myself and I should honor my father and mother, and now he's telling me that I should hate these things? It's a paradoxical statement, and it would likely have raised some questions. What does he mean by this? What is he really saying? Because hate is a harsh word that elicits a a strong feeling. Hate. Jesus uses this word as a vivid overstatement, if you will, to help his followers, to help the crowd at that time, and to help us at this time, to understand that they must love him, we must love him, more than our immediate family and more than our own self. Not to hate them in terms of, I want to get even with you and do something to you, but I just need to know that I must love Jesus more than I love those things, those people. And I love those people. I don't want to leave those people. I, I don't want to hate them, but Jesus says you have to love me more than you love even your own family and even yourself. Jesus says don't love anything more than you love following me. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a part of the crowd, understand what you're committing to. This morning I ask you to consider if there's anything you love more than following Jesus. Is there something in your life that has the potential to keep you from allowing God to finish the work that he has started in you if you have said, yes, I want to follow you. Is there something that could cause you to stop following Jesus? You may have a good reason. You know, there are some cultures in which a family member who decide to follow Jesus will be either disowned or killed. In our world today, I know people who have decided to follow Jesus in another part of the world and they can't go back to their family, otherwise they'll be killed. You may have a good reason because your career might be impacted if you follow Jesus completely and totally. Or maybe there's some people in your life, a spouse, some friends, who would view you differently and you don't want to be viewed differently if you truly pursue your relationship with God and follow Christ. There are good reasons and good things to love and hold on to, yet think about what Jesus is saying and hold that thought. We'll come back to that. Another word we need to consider this passage is cross. Cross is another harsh word, right? What does cross signify? It signifies sacrifice. It signifies death. The crowds would have heard the word cross and thought, oh, my goodness, that's a, that's a, he is saying something about dying despised and rejected of men because thieves and, and, and those criminals who had committed a crime that was worthy of capital punishment would have been crucified on a cross. Not just, you know, a, a petty criminal, but someone who was despised. And Jesus said, if you don't pick up your cross and f- carry your cross... You can't follow me. The cross symbolizes the need for sacrifice and total commitment, even to death, for people who would follow Jesus. So what will it mean for me and you to pick up our cross and to carry it? What will we sacrifice? Jesus is saying that we must love him more than we love other things, other people, ourselves, and our lives. But you see, when we sacrifice those priorities for God's priorities, then we can love other things, other people, and ourselves as God, as God intends for us to love. Our priorities are on God and not on ourself. In Mark eight thirty four, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that only when we are completely oblivious of self are we ready to bear the cross for his sake. Yet Jesus says that we are to love our neighbor as ourself, suggesting that we are to love ourself, right? You, you've read that. This seems to be another paradoxical statement that Jesus makes to the crowd. When Jesus wants them and what he wants us to understand, is that to follow him means to stop making oneself the object of our everyday actions and priorities. If we do this, if our love for Christ is the central focus of our life, and not our love for ourself, we come to understand what Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I have come that we, that they, that we might have life and have it to the full. A full life. Not just an unfinished life, but a full life. When you lay down yourself, you find everything in addition to yourself. We must love Jesus more than anything else in the world. That's the bottom line. We love, must love Jesus more than anything else in the world. And what, chaplain, uh, what, what do you do with that? You know, that may sound as hard as what Jesus is saying here. How can I love Jesus more than anything else in the world? I really love chocolate. Another word we need to understand, though, is cost. Because, you see, Jesus uses two examples in this passage of counting the cost. He uses building a tower and going to war. Both require forethought. and Both require acknowledgement of the consequences of our decision. Both require a commitment, and we must understand what we are committing to. In the movie Forrest Gump, one day Forrest decides to take a run. A little run across America. Something that one day I don't think I'll ever do. Don't think I'll start that one because guess what? I probably won't finish it. Forrest decides to run across America, and in doing so, crowds start to follow him. And he's running, and people are imagining all sorts of reasons why Forrest is running. So Forrest runs from one place all the way to the west coast. He turns around, and he runs back to the east coast. And then he turns around, and he just keeps running. And he's running and running, and crowds wherever he goes follow him wherever he's going. And finally, one day, after a while, you can see Forrest has the classic uh, beard and long hair that we would all aspire to have one day, I'm sure, one day Forrest stops and he turns to the crowd and they are anxiously waiting to hear what he has to say to explain his his deep reason for running for so long. Forrest turns to the crowd and they say, "Wait, wait, he's going to say something." And Forrest says, "I'm tired now. I think I'll go home." And they're still waiting. Why, Forrest, why were you running? You know, Forrest knew, Forrest knew why he was running. He just thought that running just felt right. That's why he was running. He didn't really know the reason. He just knew that it felt like the right thing to do. And maybe that's why we're following Jesus. It feels like the right thing to do, but we're really not sure what we're doing. Let's go back to our passage in Luke 14. Large crowds were following Jesus. When he saw this, he turned to them and explained that there is a cost to follow him on this journey. There's a cost for each individual, and each one needed to understand what they were committing to do. Each one needed to understand their reason for following him. The crowd was likely holding on to self-centered reasons. They were all about being part of the crowd. They maybe wanted the free food that every once in a while they got when he fed 5,000 people, you know. Uh, and and there was all sorts of different reasons miracles Jesus was doing they wanted to be associated maybe with somebody like that and maybe that's why you decide to follow Jesus like well i've read about the fact that he he does some really cool stuff and maybe he's you know maybe he's helped you with some stuff in your life and that's why you follow him Jesus challenges the crowd's paradigms though and he calls them to follow where he is leading not just to understand that he's doing more than just meeting them where they are. He, he wants them to follow where he's going, not where they just are. And that's something we have to ask ourselves. You know, Jesus's miracles point to who he is, and it's, it, it, and it's not just a fix for the crowd's current issues. It pointed to who he was, and he was someone who was going to the cross and he wanted them to understand that. Jesus explains that a builder must cost the count, count the cost of building a tower before he begins. He needs to know if he has the resources to finish the job. Otherwise, he will be left with a costly, unfinished relic that other people will look at and judge him by. He will be regarded as one who began something and wasn't able to finish it. When George Bolt began construction of Bolt Castle, he had a clear purpose in mind. He had a reason. When his life died, his wife died, so did his, pers- his purpose, and so did his reason. He was unwilling to finish. A man building a tower and a king going to war have an instate. In counting the cost, they look forward to that purpose. They say, "Can I do what I'm about to set out to do with what I have?" And they are also asking. What is the cost going to be if I don't do this? Two, two ways they're looking. What's it going to be? What will it be if I don't do it? And these are questions that I would dare say we probably ask ourselves every day in our walk of faith. What's going to happen if I do this? What's going to happen if I tell God, yes, I will step out there into something I believe you're calling me to do, into the great unknown? into something that I don't quite understand, but I know that you're compelling me to go there. In 2003, I made a decision to become a minister. And in the process, I thought I would become a chaplain. I didn't know, but I thought, well, I've got to start somewhere. So I started by going back to school and working on that seminary degree. But before I did that, I had to count a cost. You see, I'm an Arkansas boy who has deep Arkansas roots. If you can't tell that by the way I talk, stick around for a while. And I had started putting down some deep roots. My wife and I had built, we had bought a house. We flipped a house. We bought it for like $60,000. It was on three acres. It was surrounded by grass this tall. We cleared it. We remodeled. I tore it apart. Her dad put it back together. I can't say we remodeled it because if I started tearing something apart, it would stay that way, you know. But he finished it. We put horses on it. And I put a cow or two on it. It was the Arkansas little farm, hobby farm. And in 2003, I had to ask myself, am I going to walk away from this? We were an hour from her parents and an hour from our parents. The perfect setup to raise kids, growing up with grandparents and cousins. Anybody grow up with your cousins? Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. The Coomer family, you just left that. Did you count the cost? What was Joe thinking? What was I thinking? What was any of us thinking who are sitting here today when you raised your hand in front of the flag and you felt that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach saying, what did I just do by saying that oath? because I know that's going to take me away from the ones I love. And some people still struggle with that, but that's counting the cost. You're looking forward. You're counting a cost. When deciding to follow Jesus, we have to question which direction are we looking. Are we looking forward to what he is going to do through our life as a disciple, or are we just looking at the present of what we need him to do for us now? That's typically where we look. And don't get me wrong, we do need the power of God now to fix us, right? A lot of people, I would say all of us in here are broken people, broken by sin, and we need his grace and mercy to forgive us of our sins and to help us to start a journey that we can't start ourselves. We need that. We do need the hope that comes through following him. Yet many people stop there and unwilling to look forward to what they are committing to do when they say, God, I will follow Christ. I will be a disciple. Some think that they are committed to following Jesus, but are only following the crowd. Hey, I need to be in chapel. I need to be in a church, and I see one, and I get to wear civilian clothes, and I get to dress up and put some smell good on, and that's the one time of the week, so I'm going to be a part of that. And it's good, and you're surrounded by people that have the same idea, and then the other six days of the week, you don't think much about it, And that's just following Jesus. I know I've lived that life. We we do it. Some people think they're following Jesus, and their commitment to other things exceeds their commitment to Christ, because they're consumed with other things. They're not really willing to bear their cross, and their purpose for following Christ is unclear. Oak Castle is a costly, unfinished relic. It's a tourist attraction that is still costly, unfinished, and it has never been used for its intended purpose. Which takes us to something I'd like for you to consider. The cost of not following Jesus exceeds the cost of following him. The cost of not following him exceeds the cost of following him. What do you mean by that? Well, get this. To only partially commit to following Christ, will lead us to a costly, unfinished life. You see, our failure to follow Christ will impact us. It will have an eternal consequence. If a person never decides to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, it will have an eternal consequence. But you see, if we only partially commit as a disciple, it's going to impact everybody around us as well because they're going to look at us and they're going to say, I thought that person was supposed to be a Christian. And if that's how Christians act, I must be okay. I don't have to make a decision to follow Christ. As a matter of fact, I think I'm doing better than they are. That's one way. As a body of Christ, we can't afford for the world to see us as an unfinished relic. A local attraction to tour. Something that is not fulfilling its intended purpose. You see... Around the world, there are many cathedrals and churches that people tour every day. They go in. They look at it. Anybody been to the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C.? You've looked at it. It's a beautiful, elaborate building. I hear across Europe there's these cathedrals that, you know, you can go tour. Uh, When we were in uh, uh, Afghanistan last year, we had a group of people uh, from from, um, Europe, or was it, it was the Romanians. The Romanians were, were like, they invited, they had flyers. And in the, the flyers for the Romanians, they had all of these churches and cathedrals you could tour. And they said, come see us. You have a free place to stay. And you can tour all of these cathedrals and churches. And, and people do that all the time. They, they tour churches and cathedrals. And yet, how many of those churches and cathedrals are serving their intended purpose? How many of them are growing disciples and multiplying disciples for Christ? How many of them even have services that people can go and worship God in? Is that how we want the body of Christ to be? Think about what has happened to the intended purpose of places of worship like that. They have become relics, and that's not okay. You see, a relic is something that is from a pastime. It's a remnant left over. It's a representation of something that is outmoded, out of date. That's certainly not how God intends for us to live as the body of Christ. Not outmoded and not outdated because, see, we are very relevant in this world. Disciples are very relevant because we are what will take the word to other people who have not heard the word. Unless someone takes the word to those who have not heard, they won't hear. So we're very relevant. To be relevant means to maintain significance, to be important. We maintain the relevance that God intends for us as the body of Christ when we fully commit to following Jesus. The purpose, our reason for following Christ makes the cost worth it. You may be like, well, chaplain... I think I'm okay where I'm at. I don't need to really commit more, do I? Well, let's put this in today's everyday terms. You may have seen a recent television commercial during the Final Four, uh, during the NCAA tournament, advertising AT&T wireless service. It reminds us that just okay is not okay. Just okay cell phone service is not okay, is it? Being just okay as a parachute rigger or a jump master is not okay okay being just okay as a doctor or a pilot is not okay is it so imagine this okay picture a conversation between god the father and jesus and god's looking down and he sees miller and he says jesus how is miller doing and jesus looks at god and says he's okay is that how i want to be viewed as a disciple no An okay disciple is not good enough. Okay cell phone service is not good enough. Imagine how much more being just okay as a disciple is. You see, if we're just okay, we ask ourselves, what is our life really about? How many of us live our lives as just okay disciples? Unwilling to allow God to finish the work that He began in us when we accepted Christ as our Savior. Pursuing God's purpose for our lives, though, will make us better than okay. You can be better than okay. I can be better than okay. I would be an okay NBA basketball player. I know how to dribble a basketball, but I'll never be a really good one. But if I follow God's purpose for my life, God's purpose is I'll be really good. If i truly commit and so will you it may all we all may all look a little different as a disciple in what we do but it's the fact that we're doing what god has called us to do that matters the body of christ must love jesus fully in order to be filled with disciples and not unfinished relics so think about this we all need we all have this internal need belong to something bigger than ourselves don't we something bigger than us it's like what is my life about i want to be a part of something bigger and yet we tend to focus on ourselves and not on that bigger thing i want to be part of something bigger but i'm just thinking about myself our natural tendency is to be self-centered and self-serving we choose to believe in God if we understand him. We choose to follow Christ if it's convenient. We choose to be a church, part of a church community if it meets our needs. We are, by nature, self-centered. When Jesus turned to the crowds to help them understand that there was a cost to following him, he expressed a sense of urgency, an urgency for them to be fully, totally committed, not partially. They needed to be all in. One day, the apostle Peter He was trying to help Jesus understand that, Jesus, I will be all in for you. And he says, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? What would your answer to Jesus be if he asked you that question this morning? Will you really lay down your life for him? You see, our lives are filled with doubts and fears. We have personal agendas, and we struggle to allow Christ to lead us into his purpose for our life. We need to ask ourselves if we have a sense of urgency to follow Christ because of who he is. We often follow him because it's simply a way to cope with the challenges of life. We need to ask ourselves, are we following him because we love him and have a sense of urgency to go and make disciples, to help other people to know their need to follow Christ. This morning, I ask you to consider if there was anything you love more than following Jesus. As you have sat there this morning, you may have realized that, yes, there are some things that I think I love more, and they may be good reasons. You may have a career that if you pursue Christ more fully, your career would be impacted. It would change. I changed. I went from a great government job to a no-job back-in-school position. Without a house, without a home, I became homeless and jobless, you know, and with a wife and two kids. I'm like, how smart is that? I had a good reason not to do it. And yet, I said yes, and I have no regrets. Maybe you have a spouse or a family member or friends that you know would be disappointed or your relationship would change if you said, you know what, I'm going to pursue God more. I'm going to pursue following Christ more. And that's a good reason. But are you just okay? And is that okay if you do that? Following Christ is not just about what Jesus can do for you and me. It's about what he's already done for us. Think about that. Jesus carried his cross to his death. His death was a gift of life for us, eternal life. He sacrificed all because God fulfilled us. He he loved us, and he fulfilled his purpose for us through Christ, through Christ's death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us. The Father was willing. As we follow him and bear our cross, we may die to this life, but we inherit the gift of eternal life. Yet in this life, we don't have to fear that God will finish what he starts. In 2003, I had to decide I'm going to follow Christ fully, but I didn't have to doubt that God was going to fulfill his call because I looked around me, and I I know in God's scripture it says that he who begins a good work in you will quit when he gets tired, right? No, he who begins a good work in you will finish it. He will finish it. He will finish it if you're willing to follow him. God's word tells us that we will find our life when we lay down our life before God. Consider what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and some of you can quote this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Where am I looking? Heavenward. Not now, not in the past, but heavenward. I keep my eye on the prize. Anybody run the, the marathon a couple of weeks ago? And, you know, uh, any, anybody say, you know what? I'm just going to make it, you know, to, to that point and I'm going to quit because that finish line's too far out there. No, no, you, you, you had your eye on what was 26.1 miles away when you started. It's like, yes, I want that prize. What about your walk of faith? What, have you, what are you focused on? What is your reason? For following Christ. And that's what we need to understand today. Understand that there's a cost to follow Jesus. Yet the cost pales in comparison to not following him. Before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus struggled with the cost that he was going to have to bear. He prayed to the Father. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will but yours be done. And God said, Jesus, I'm not willing. You don't have to die for them, right? No. God said, son, I'm willing. I'm willing to complete what I started, and you're going to have to go to the cross. But that's not the end of the story. As Paul Harvey used to say, stay tuned, for in two weeks you'll hear the rest of No, what Jesus said on the cross was this, it is finished. What did he mean by that? You ever looked at those three words and thought about that in terms of finishing what you started? Jesus said, it is finished. The disciples looked at what just happened and they lost their will. They were like, oh my goodness, this is not what we imagined. You may look at the cross that you have to bear and you're like, nope, can't do that. That's not what I imagined. And yet, what happened a few days later at the resurrection, when Christ revealed himself to them once again, and they truly got it. They understand that what they saw on the cross was not the finished product, but the resurrection. You see, Jesus had finished what he set out to accomplish. He he defeated sin, and he defeated death. And that was an awesome victory. And that's who we follow. That's who we follow. Let's finish All-American Chapel. Let's finish what we started when we decided to follow Christ. If you haven't decided to follow Christ, count the cost. Ask yourself, am I willing to lay down my life? Because Jesus said it's costly. But understand that there's a cost much greater if you don't decide to follow Christ. Do more than just follow the crowd, do more than just appease your conscience, be more than just a relic, count the cost, and then follow Jesus to the cross. Let's pray, if you would please bow your heads. Father, thank you for this time this morning to share your word. Thank you that you help us to understand that there is a cost to bear, but that the reward that we can anticipate and look forward to is so much greater. But God, thank you for helping us to understand that the cost you bore by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our sacrifice is worth any cost so much more than we will ever have to bear as we are disciples. Help us to follow you fully. Help us, God, to follow Jesus to the cross. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.